Hello, and welcome to another episode of Lightwork Presents Everything is Connected. Today, we're talking to the Cameroon-born, NYC-based artist, Ludovic Inkoth, whose work explores themes of power, culture, and identity. A lot has already been talked about on his upbringing. He came to the U.S. from Cameroon when he was 13 and has lived in the States ever since. Ludovic is currently in an MFA program at Hunter College in New York City. I wanted to dive deeper into the themes of power he illustrates in his work and how people of the African diaspora can reclaim their stolen power and greatness through visual arts. As Black art and artists become increasingly popular, What changes does the industry need to provide to ensure the proper compensation and longevity of an artist's career? What can the rise of fame of artists teach us about the importance we put on celebrity and status in our society? We cover these topics and more. Let's go. I want to ask you um, on creating art, what do you enjoy most about creating art? Um, I would say the ability to transport from different worlds. Uh, because in these pieces that I'm creating, I like to think that I'm creating worlds for these characters and just these individuals that they just exist in their own world. So, And I get to be part of that world when I'm creating uh, these pieces. So to me, that's what's most exciting. Amazing. And what other forms of art do you use? to stay creative i do music uh but that's that's primarily just for fun uh i rap i i've been working on a few sound pieces for feature shows wow um we're going into sculpture um and i'm just i just really want to branch out and just keep creating you know definitely why were you initially drawn to painting or were you no actually um when i started art seriously i was always doing uh anime drawings so i'm a huge anime fan oh, and cartoons wow. and whenever i was younger i used to watch uh, dragon ball z mm-hmm. like <laughs> every day i still i still do sometimes don't tell them no i won't uh, our secret <laughs> So I actually watch it with my little brothers, too, because I put them on. I'm the oldest of four boys. Okay. So with Dragon Ball Z, I used to draw the characters over and over and over that I could sit down and just tell you a whole storyline with just drawings of those. And then whenever I moved to the States, I was introduced to uh, art, some art classes. And then that's when I was introduced to painting as well. Because before that, it was primarily just uh, graphite. And then painting started at, the, I think it was in the ninth grade, ninth to tenth grade. Yeah. And then after that, I haven't put down the paintbrush since. Yeah. Were there some art programs in the school that you went to? <clears throat> um, I wouldn't say necessarily art programs. I would say we had art classes. You know, I think here most schools are required to have some f- form of creativity. Yes. In the program. So I was just taking those classes. It wasn't um, an art school or anything like that. It was just a regular uh, public school. And they just had a few... Uh, classes for me to take amazing yeah nice i also wanted to ask you a little bit about education through art there's a common theme in your work regarding reclaiming what was lost Mm -hmm. among african people in america and also throughout the world do you think it's possible for black people in america to reclaim what they've lost wow that's a good one yeah that's 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 really a good one i would say yes you know primarily these paintings are educational tools mm-hmm. and i think it's just important because you asked can uh americans find themselves through my work i think my work 
is educating them on where some of them are from. Yes. So I think it's important to know where you're from for you to know where you're going. So I think 100% these works could help a lot of people that don't know where home is find that. Right. There are so many African-American people who you ask them where their family's from. And the only thing that they can tell you is that they come from some other place in America. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And now that, you know, a lot of us are doing DNA tests and all that, I have so many friends now that are like 40% Cameroonian and I'm like, okay, I knew it. It's That's like, why we're I friends. Knew it. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so, no, I think things like that are also helping out. How do you work to educate your audience about the themes you're exploring in your art? So a lot of my work pulls directly from the traditions that I lived through and some of the traditions that are still partaking in Cameroon. These things are directly from, you know, the mouths of the people that are living through these experiences too. So that's how I'm getting these primary sources of information to bring back to uh, the States. How do you feel art and painting in particular allows Black and African people who are viewing your work? Similar question, but um, how do you think that it allows them to reclaim their stolen heritage and culture by viewing your pieces? I mean, first, it starts with, you know, the feeling of feeling like you're being represented, you know, because that's such a huge thing. And more honestly, a lot of people that are from where I'm from, we don't even know much about the history of painting or any of that, you know, because painting, when painting was introduced to the mass population, it was just for the, the 1%, you know, it was a way for them to pass their uh, history down and all that so now that this thing is something that's available to you know myself i try to try to make it for the people you know i try to show people that look like myself that yo we can we can be on these walls too you know we can be uh, mortalized too you know it's important to be represented definitely yeah do you think that there's um if at if at all do you think there's too much visual representation of black people in art today like and so just just to kind of like add more to that question is kind of like you see a lot of artists that are really popular and really getting big in their career mm-hmm. depicting black people in right. all kinds of different ways. However, there's a little bit less of the like abstract world of art mm-hmm, done mm-hmm. by people of color. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, what are your and thoughts? I think you would love to talk to Patrick Alston. I really want to talk to Patrick Shout Alston. Shout out to my boy. Yes. We'll get you in contact with him. Yes. Um, and every time I'm with him, we talk about, you know, that the idea of uh, black bodies being put back in the market, but just refurbished differently. Like for consumption. Exactly. Which is what is happening. Exactly. You know? And the way I look at it is that that's something that even if we want it, we couldn't control. Right. Uh, so I think if, and I can only speak for myself, if I go into, you know, this creating process and this art life of mine with a good mind and, uh, with, you know, the hope to help rather than, you know, just take yes. like the, a lot of, uh, the art market does, you know, if we go in with those thoughts in head, then maybe we can have a better, uh, outcome with all that. Yeah. Absolutely. As themes of educating people and perhaps yourself continue to grow in your work, what are the topics you're most interested in exploring, whether new or old? Um, You know, new topics just uh, find themselves seeping into my work. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's usually and always will be, I hope, revolving around the idea of family and just having loved ones around, you Mm -hmm. know. 
And then after when you branch away from that, then you start having, okay, after family, now we're trying to regain these things that were taken away from this very family that were being represented by. Is And I think this answer is different for everyone, though maybe there is a universal quality to it. But is family very important to you? Oh, 100%. Uh, family's the only thing that you have when you come out in this, in this world, you know. That's the only thing that's it's a given, you know. Everything else you either have to earn or given and stuff like that. But family is the one thing that you have. And family, you know, you don't get to choose your family. So sometimes family is the only thing you leave behind too. Right. One of the most interesting things I think that comes to my mind as you just described that is issues with the black family in America, you know, and, and how slavery completely fractured it. And you see the effects of that still today. So it's just it's just an interesting angle. It is. It is. And that was devised for that purpose. You know, you know, it was all planned. And that's why, like, there's no name, particular name for this piece right now in front of us. But yeah. That speaks on the idea of family. Right. And this is when I was younger, I wasn't always around both sides of my family. So Hmm. this is, again, because I don't want to say directly because of slavery, but I feel like this is a byproduct of that. Right. So in this piece, we have this family that's gathered in a living room, just enjoying their time together, which is something that we don't always see in, you know, black families. You know, the mother and the father present in the same picture. And also the fact that it's a leisurely moment. Right, right. And then what gets interesting, and I'm going to get in more into this piece, if you don't mind. Of Uh, course, please. Since I was talking about how I grew up without being with both sides of the family, if you look on the uh, upper right corner of the piece there's a kid which represent me yeah peeking in through uh, this family which also is a representation of a lot of young black kids in america who grew up without families like that so yes. we're peeking in through this world that we wish we had. we had but ironically enough the reason that we are and the reason that i am who i am today was also because of the fact that I didn't always have that family. So it's something that I wish I had, but in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, I didn't have that. And we made it out of that lifestyle. That's what I mean with that. Right. So you were able to make it work regardless. Exactly. Exactly. Because of those experiences and those moments, you know, they shape you. What doesn't break you makes you. Absolutely. A lot of the time. Absolutely. Not always, but a lot of the time. I love that. I wanted to ask as far as um, changes within the art world and your thoughts about the future, what are some of the biggest or most interesting changes you've seen take place in the art world since becoming a professional artist? What I would say, the first big change that I would love to see is uh, royalties in uh, the art world. And I would love to see treated the way we treat, you know, the music industry, where if you have a song, you could be making uh, revenue from that piece of art till you die and even after you die, you know. And we don't we don't have that in, you know, the art world. I have friends that have went for auction and sold for crazy, ridiculous amount of uh, money, but they don't see any of that because, again, no royalties. So I think something along those lines needs to start being implemented Absolutely. in the uh, art world because at this point, especially now that we have this thing that they want to call uh, a black thread. Now, black bodies are being sold on canvas now. And now it's, it's something that's happening at a rapid pace. So I just think bringing everything back a little might help. I don't know. Do you feel like um, bodies being commodified in art is a, a trend? Being 
commodified with that question, then that's the artist is not in control of that anymore, you know, right. because as an artist, I would say I don't come in here and, you know, and think, okay, who can I paint to be sold? You know, like that's that becomes scary, you know, of course. And then whenever it goes into the art world, then now they're like, oh, wow, black bodies out, let's say hot right now, you know, but I don't I personally don't think it's a threat. And using the word threat to describe that is a scary thing, too. Absolutely. Because it limits its full potential. You know, it's it's just it's not a threat. It's just we're just now getting the you know, the respect that we've been earning and the respect that we've had this whole time but we're just now getting that recognition and that's just what's happening right what do you think about like and adding to that what do you think about the rise in popularity and status of like the modern day artists today right i and i i'm all for that to be honest i'm not because the way i treat it i so i grew up playing sports and the way i look at it is that artists are like athletes and they're like musicians you know we're creating something that becomes after a while a brand whether you want it or not you know right. so and if we're treating celebrities that are creating these moments that we live with for the rest of our life we're treating them as so what's wrong about treating an artist the same way because in a way they're doing the exact same thing as your favorite rapper or singer is doing they're creating moments that you will live with for the rest of your life you know so i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing i think it could be used as a bad tool but i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to treat artists the way they should be treated with the respect that earning with their work right yeah i was listening to a talk with Derek adams last night a podcast episode where he was saying you know the artists of my generation and the generations before me this idea of being famous wasn't even conceivable even on the table right because an artist was really reclusive would walk down the street and nobody would know who they were today young artists are in the spotlight they're being seen is i mean yeah and you know it's you can either use that to your advantage or let it use you you know it's it's a double um double-sided sword is that double-edged sword wow english (laughs) um and for me so far we're doing we're doing good so i don't think it's always a bad thing i think maybe more artists should know that they're earning that kind of respect Mm -hmm. and then i think it also comes with a level of confidence because as an artist we're not always thought to be confident outside of the studio okay you know with most artists that i know we're more confident in the studio because we just know this space and this is our safe space right so whenever we step out of this room it's like oh shit now i have to interact with the world right Right. So, and then we're told we're in the art world that that's how an artist should behave. But mm-hmm. now with times moving where you have uh, the art world uh, coexisting with the fashion industry, with the music industry, with athletes now all wanting to collect works, you know, that's, that's just, I think it's a beautiful thing when you can have an artist that can exist in almost all platforms like Derek Adams, Nina Chanel, you know, cause, you know, all these people that, you know, someone like Nina, she has all institutions to back her up because she's earned all those things, you know. Right. But then she wants to create more and just to be a creator. Right. Which I think it's a beautiful thing. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about this topic of um, just the art industry and and like the future and what you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. How close do you think the art industry is to realizing the goals of giving artists more control over their work, royalties, being more inclusive? um, Just I wish there was a rule long enough to measure that. But I would say my team and I are working on a lot of those ideas. And, you know, there are, it's, it's hard. The art world is the wild west, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just like what a it jungle is. Out that's, there. Exactly. That's what it's been. And it's more profitable when it's that way. 
you know, for the art world because a lot of there's a lot of shady business going on in there, but that's what it is. Yeah. You know, so no one's gonna say anything about that. Definitely. Right. You talked a second ago about what artists are kind of told like in school. Right. That was kind of what I got from from what you said. Right. You I was gonna say, you know, I'm in grad school. Mm-hmm. I've only Currently. Currently, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in a three year program grad okay. school. Nice. And I've only taken one class on, you know, the business aspect of the art world. But I knew how important that was. So I've learned, you know, that whole thing on my spare time. But in the in schools, they don't teach you these things. They don't teach you how to handle your taxes. They don't teach you how to file taxes as an artist because this shit is hard. You know, things that you're going to need as soon as you get out of the program, they don't teach you that. They just teach you how to be in your studio. And make work. That's that's just that. And I think there's just more that could be done. So maybe a good change to see within the industry would be support and investment in teaching artists. Uh, but I don't think the industry wants that because mm. that gives more power to the artists, of course. Mm. And now in 2020, we're already seeing the power dynamics changing. And then COVID just made it even more apparent because... With all the shows that are happening, happening um, online online auctions, okay, what's the need of a gallery or a space if you can do all these things online, you know? Right. Now, I, it's crazy because that just that gives more power to the artist. Absolutely. You've seen artists blow up in the last Exa- six exactly. months because of COVID. And then galleries are noticing that and institutions are noticing that too. So it's just a whole business side of that we just don't know that... Maybe even they're doing this subconsciously, mm-hmm. but it's you mean just the, a the way. Artist? No, no, no. The... They're the institutions and yeah. uh, the gallerists. They're doing this thing that don't allow the artist to feel like he or she or whatever their pronouns are can be out in the world and still exist as an artist the way they exist in the studio as an artist. You know. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I was having a conversation on my most recent episode with Kari Turner and he's like, you know, now I'm making Google spreadsheets and making like, you know, Google documents and putting together forms. Right. And he's like, I never did any of this. None. And now I'm forced to do it because it's part of my work. It's part of my job. But I have no experience. It's it's a business. Like I, I tell this to all my peers, you know. As, as hard as you try to, you know, treat this thing the, like it's the furthest thing away from a business, at the end of the day, you're eating from it and you're living from it. It's, it's a business at the end of the day, you know. And that doesn't mean you have to let that business seep into your studio. But you just have to know that when you step out of the studio, when the pieces step out of the studio, that's a business. You know, you're not there to vouch for these pieces anymore. It becomes just that. Right. So I think it's important that artists know how to move out of the studio just as well as they know how to move in the studio. Do you feel like that is something that might change with COVID? It's almost like COVID's like the great, like the great, you know, divide or like Thanos. the great denominator, you know? It's, I mean... <laughs> it's Thanos of 2020. I don't know if that's going to be... Because this is something that... It's not just a few artists that do this, you know? This is no. something that has been engraved in the, in our heads for centuries and ages you know right so it's something that's going to slowly change but do you mean this dynamic of the artist being focused on the art and the work and not the business yes right because even some galleries will still come up to you and be like oh you know don't worry about the outside world make art and then i'll take care of everything but you don't know what's going on out there you know i mean you should trust your team of course but of course still think you should know what your team is doing exactly every every day any day that you know they're handling your business 
business. Right. Yeah. Every step of the way. Every step of the way. And that's why it's important to learn all these things before you even start working with, you know, these big galleries. So you already know what they're supposed to do mm-hmm. and how they're supposed to do. So mm-hmm. it becomes more of a partnership rather than a gallery taking care of you or, right. or you taking care of a gallery or something like that. What are some of the things that you're most excited about for the future, not only for yourself and for your career, but perhaps just life in general and the art industry as a whole? So I know that's like three or four questions in one. <laughs> Let's start with art. Okay. And then I might need you to remind me of the questions sure. because there are like four. Uh, with art, I'm just really excited with um, the way the works are coming out lately. And your own or other artists? No, my my own. First of all, I like the way I'm pushing the works and the way the works are being received, which is always a good thing. For other artists, my peers, I'm very close with um, a lot of artists and curators. Just like we're talking about John Rivas, which yes. is like a brother to me. Yes, I talk to John more than I talk to ninety percent of the contacts in my phone, <laughs> and I'm not even exaggerating at all. That's yeah. So with. John, he's working on some crazy things too that when when you see, when the world sees, yeah. It's inspiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have a group show coming up soon too. So we'll see some of those goodies there. When is that happening? That is in September in Chelsea at Ross and Kramer. Ross and Kramer. Yes, yes. Okay, sick. Pull up. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) And then as for um, you just being excited about the future and perhaps also your career, any anything you'd like to share about that? I usually like to keep, you know, keep it on the low. Yeah, my personal life, you know, separate from, you know, the outside life. So personal life, everything's good, healthy. Okay. mentally and physically uh so i'm very happy for that especially during these times yeah absolutely and i'm just looking forward to growing with my loved ones you know yeah and then yeah that's just that if there would be anything else that you want to share with everyone any last words you'd like to say we have crazy shows lined up um we have two solos confirmed already two uh, solos yeah yeah i wasn't sick. gonna talk about them but sick, why sick. not uh we have three group shows wow wow amazing well, you're a busy guy right that's news to me too <laughs> <laughs> it's like three group shows i didn't even know that <laughs> no no no. because let me tell you what happens and you think i'm kidding but when you get in here and you're just painting from monday to friday you're not worried about what's going on in like two months from there you're just trying to figure out what's going on today in the studio you know so right the way i usually work is i would have my studio manager like book all like put all the shows in the book and then i know what's going to come up okay but then when i'm in the studio i don't prioritize you know shows i'm just i just make work and then whenever the show comes then whatever work fits best in that show okay. is the work that goes to that show so i'm just always working yeah right to answer that question so you're not making work for particular shows you're just making work sometimes i am but a lot of the times i'm just making work nice. like right now i'm making works for shows but i'm also just making works right that will be in various other shows. places yeah, yeah right yeah, right yeah. right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to ask you, we touched on it before, but what has it been like for you living in New York? And what's that experience? Oh, Can you describe man. a little bit? I don't that? even know where to start. <laughs> New York. I knew I was going to live in New York from uh, the get-go. You knew? Uh, I, I knew. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Danny, um, I still hate him for this. <laughs> he somehow unveiled a video recording when I was being interviewed on uh, this TV channel 
at like age 18. And then during the interview, the interviewer asked me, okay, so what's the future looking like? Blah, 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 blah. And I told him, I was like, I'm going to be in New York, an artist in the next years. And then he was like, okay, I hope that goes well. And, Sounds good. Right. And, you know, it's always been in my books or in my plan. And when I got to New York, it just hugged me in with like four arms. It's, it's Embraced you? Yes. It's been amazing. I've been meeting amazing people. I now have a family in New York, you know. I moved here with no one. I knew a few uh, people, but New York has been amazing to me and it doesn't get better. What are some of the things you like the most about the city? I I first like that I can get food at 3 a.m. It's like, you know, I've been in the studio 18 hours. I'm right, hungry. Right, right. I love to eat. Um, that's <laughs> that's one of the things that... That's what we should know about you. Right, right, right. I spend <laughs> my money on two things. Food, art supplies. Gotta love it. So that's... And I love to cook, too. I So you get your groceries. Oh, you can, I... The chefing. You can get your Instacart. Yeah, yeah. You can I'm get everything. I'm telling you, the, the cooking is different. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so just things like that, you know. Yeah, definitely. Anything that you would say is like either things that you don't like or like the most challenging part of living in New York? I don't know much about New York because I haven't explored New York. Right. Yeah. And COVID has changed all that. COVID has changed all that. Yeah. What do you like to do when you're not making art or cooking <laughs> or hanging out with friends? <laughs> music. Yes. Uh, music, yes. of course. I love, I love to make music. Uh, I bought a few instruments. Sick. That what kind? I have a violin. Really? I have, yes. I have a djembe drum uh, from... Uh, West Africa? Yes. Yeah. I have a few of the instruments that are found in uh, West Africa. Do you have a talking drum? Like bing, 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 no, no, bing, no, 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 not one of those. But with all those things, I'm using them also as tools for my sound work whenever those are ready to be um, realized, of course. And that sound work, is that a new iteration for you? Is Like, where did that come from? You know, I'm, I'm just a curious person, you know. I, I like knowing how to do things. Yeah. And sound brings just a different element, you know, than painting. Of course. And it even gets more interesting when you're in front of a painting and then the sound that's activating the space and the painting it creates a more exactly, exactly. So I'm um, I'm playing around with those ideas and seeing um, what comes out of it. Do you think you'd ever get into adding like any component of video work? These these are still still very personal. Um, I also have watercolors that you see in the few in the studio. But oh, I'd love to see more of that. So sick. Well, I think we're good and we have everything. I was going to ask you about that last words question, but I feel like you answered like any last words for the people, or or maybe you can. <laughs> Maybe you can tell me like what you're reading right now, what you're listening to, anything that's like piquing your interest. I'm reading a chef's book right now. That goes back to your love of cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's actually a textbook from the ICE uh, Institution. Mm -hmm. So what this textbook does is I've been cooking for a long time and I've just always loved to cook because it's just an extension of my creativity mm -hmm. in the kitchen. So I've, what the, this textbook does is it just takes your uh, skills to the next level. So it'll teach you about different blades and which blades are like made mm -hmm. for different things. And mm -hmm. then the way to um, handle specific ingredients in the kitchen and the way to store some of these things. Just It's just pretty much taking you to the next level. So it's like making it to the NBA with this book. So nice. I'm reading that. I watch a lot of tv too 
uh, whenever I make time. So I, <laughs> I wake up super early in the morning, like 6 a.m. From 6 a.m. to close to 11, I'll have my morning routine. And then I get my TV in that time too, mm-hmm. while I'm having the morning tea. And then I come to the studio and then I work to the, st- the studio till it's bedtime usually. With TV, uh, I'm watching. <laughs> I don't even know I should promote this TV show <laughs> <laughs> on this platform, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's Norsemen. Anyone that have watched Vikings on uh, the National History Channel yeah, would know about it. I love um, the History Channel. Yeah, yeah. So, you know how the History Channel came up with the show The Vikings? Yeah, I never saw it, though. Oh, it's amazing. Very hard to watch, but once you get into it, it's amazing. But what Norsemen is, is a spinoff on that. Hmm. So, now they've... <laughs> The Vikings are now comedians in a way. So it's like a comedy version of Vikings. Oh, shit. And it is the funniest <laughs> thing on TV. I, yeah. Like, I love this show. I would I 100% would recommend it to anyone that I, whenever I'm not in the studio, I just like to have, you know, a good time and relax. Nothing too crazy. So I'll watch that to get me coming to the studio. So I'll laugh a little bit, you know, relax, right, right, get right, some right. energy out. Right. And then I'll come to the studio and then. And slow wind till we go to sleep. Because painting is a serious process, no? I won't say not serious, because I'll be honest with you, I'm just in here playing around. Really? Oh no, this is this is all the game, you know. Um and I mean that in a serious way too, you know. This is just me still being curious and trying to find things out about myself, about the materials, and then about the spaces that I'm occupying. So right. It's always games and fun. And whenever this stops being fun, I'll probably stop doing it. Right. Well, I hope that art is always fun for you. So far. Yes. So, And I think it's always going to be. Good. Yeah. I think we're set. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. It's a wrap. Catch us on our next episode where we'll continue to bring you real stories and unique perspectives of some of today's most exciting artists, curators, and entrepreneurs in the art world as we focus on the African diaspora. As always, stay motivated, stay inspired, and stay up. Peace and love, y'all. We out. This episode was recorded in the Bronx at Ludo Studio. I got a first-hand look at some of his newest works that'll be on view in the coming months with the solo and group shows we talked about on this episode. Stay tuned for more information on upcoming shows with the links that'll be in the description box of this podcast. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Lightwork Presents Everything is Connected, conversations on culture and current events with some of today's most exciting creative contemporaries.